It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Let's see. What was I going to leave with today? Uh, um, give me a minute. Just got to pull it up. Um, any second now. Wait, 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 wait. It's coming to me. It's on the tip of my tongue. All right. That was a rather tasteless opening, given that the story, the only story, the overriding story in Washington today, and forgive me if I mention that uh, <laughs> this is about the ninth time I've had to tear up the show for Sunday, Media Buzz, 11 Eastern. Oh, by the way, I hope you have a good weekend coming up. It just seems like there's two, three stories a day that keep superseding each other. Now, the other day, by the way, I'm having printing problems here. And I finally got this whole thing to print out, but it's in very small type. And then before that, it printed on both sides, which I hate. All right, anyway. Uh, we had the appeals court ruling against Donald Trump on immunity. And then we had the Supreme Court Oral arguments on Donald Trump being kicked off the ballot. All this I'm going to get to. And then we had the special counsel's report on Joe Biden. No criminal charges. And then we had Biden's, uh, let me search for the right word here, right phrase, train wreck of a news conference last night. I'm sure if White House officials could take it back, they would say, Joe, you've made your point. You don't need to go out again, face the press. Why don't you just uh, have some hot tea and go to bed early? All right. I I don't mean to be disrespectful toward the 81-year-old president. I've seen him be incredibly lucid and cogent. And the problem is, of course, that he doesn't do it all the time. So let's dive in. Story number one. Here's Politico's take. Special counsel Robert Herr, probably you couldn't have thought of his name until last night, jolted the presidential campaign with a withering assessment of Joe Biden's mental acuity, drawing the president's biggest political liability firmly into the public conversation. While Biden's age is a major concern for voters in polling, Top Democrats have danced around the issue, mostly keeping their concerns private. But her description of Biden in an official report as a, quote, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory may force a new reckoning for the president. Now, this has caused an absolute uproar, this and other phrases in the report, which I will get to in mere nanoseconds, because it is reminiscent, it is so reminiscent of, I believe it was July 2016, director of the FBI decides not to bring criminal charges against presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. And yet, Jim Comey, then held a news conference and just unloaded on her. Here's all these terrible things she did, but it doesn't rise to the level of criminal charges. 
So the counterattack has immediately started. Biden is said to be furious. We'll get to that. That once Robert Hur did his duty, and of course he has a duty to make a report public and to uh, go through the process of how he reached this conclusion, the stuff about Biden's an elderly man with a poor memory. Remember, this is a Republican appointee tapped by Merrick Garland. Remember, this is the Biden Justice Department. And the counter-argument from the president, the White House, many liberals in the media is, why do we need his personal opinions? This is uh, ridiculous. It's inappropriate. This has no place in the report. He should just stuff it. But increasingly, these independent councils, these special councils, feel the need to share their opinions. You know, the the old-fashioned Justice Department approach, and going back to the special prosecutor law and so forth, and it's always been a question of how much independence do they have and how far will they go, was you indict or you don't indict and you shut the hell up. But so the mere fact that no criminal charges are being brought against the president of the United States. Probably they could not be brought anyway because he's a sitting president. But that was not what her relied on. Um, should be the lead. And yet it's been overshadowed by these shots taken at him in the report. And then Biden decided to come out and talk to the press last night. So let's just you know bring you up to date here. Um, among the shots in the report is that his memory appeared to have significant limitations. He could not remember, even within several years, when his son Bo died in 2015. He could not remember the years that he served as vice president and or the details of a debate about sending additional troops to Afghanistan. Now, anything involving years, I mean, there are people who fall into two categories. They have dates in their minds where they don't. I happen to be on the other side of that. I can remember lots and lots and lots of exact dates. But other people may remember the events just fine, but, well, you know, was it 2015? Was it 2016? Again, I'm just giving you my thoughts here. So Politico notes that You know, this comes after a tough week for the president. Political notes that during two New York fundraisers, this is on Wednesday night, Biden mixed up while telling the same anecdote. First, he mixed up Francois Mitterrand, who's been dead since 1996, and the current French president, Emmanuel Macron. And then he's telling the same story, essentially the same anecdote. This time he's talking about being at the G7 meeting in Britain in 2021. And he says Helmut Kohl, former German chancellor, told him this. And it's a little yarn about how world leaders would react if a January 6th type event happened in their country. And the problem there is that Helmut Kohl died in 2017. He'd been dead four years at the time of this story. And I'm just throwing up my hands and saying, 
Can somebody give him a blue card? All right, so I talked about that a little bit yesterday. So this is in the political piece. And then it says, look, uh, you know, Donald Trump is also facing these questions. He mixed up Nikki Haley and, Jan- and uh, Nancy Pelosi in talking about January 6th. He's talked about running against Barack Obama, not Biden, although I think that was quite deliberate on the foreign president's part. Biden's mistakes underscore what critics say are the most persistent political threats to the president's reelection bid. His age and the fear among voters that he is not mentally fit to hold office again. And then the special counsel's report comes out. So White House is saying, look, this was gratuitous. Republicans not exactly holding back. Mike Johnson, the speaker, Steve Scalise, uh, Tom Emmer, the whip, and Elise Stefanik, a joint statement, said the uh, sections of the report on Biden's memory were the most disturbing parts. Quote, a man too incapable of being held accountable for mishandling classified information is certainly unfit for the Oval Office. I have no doubt that there are people who will reach that conclusion building on the concern that has been building for many months now. NBC poll this week found 76% of voters say they have major or moderate concerns about Biden lacking the necessary mental and physical health for second term. That included 81% of independents, 54% of Democrats, more than half. 48% had such concerns about Donald Trump. And so, you know, Corrine Jean-Pierre is asked about this yesterday. She says it relates to the names and what he was trying to say. Many people, elected officials, many people, you know, they can misspeak sometimes. True. Now to the news conference. As some of which uh, captured by the Washington Post. So I'm watching this, and M.J. Lee, who is, uh, I believe, the Lee White House correspondent, she works for CNN, uncorks this long adversarial question. Nothing wrong with adversarial questions, but she's saying, what about your memory? Doesn't this disqualify you? The report says, you know, you couldn't even remember these key uh, things in your life. And it was quite a bit longer than that. So, the president got pretty emotional here. President Biden. There's even a reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? He said he remembers his son's death every day. Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. I don't need anyone to remind me of when he passed away. And he talked about a memorial service that they have for Bo Biden every year. Um, Washington Post says privately, Biden furious with these comments in the report about his memory, he went to this uh, House Democratic retreat in Virginia yesterday and said privately, when somebody asked how he was doing, how the F could I forget the day my son died? Of course I remember everything. 
And then he said, I was pleased that he reached the firm conclusion that no charges should be brought against me in this case. I take responsibility for not having seen exactly what my staff is doing. This is the under the bus section of the program. Things that appeared in my garage in Delaware, things that came out of my home, things that were moved, were moved not by me, but by my staff, by my staff. I don't, I didn't know how half the boxes got in my garage until I found out staff gathered them up, put them together and took them to the garage in my home. He says, this isn't like Mar-a-Lago, which is, you know, a club for private members. It was in my house. It wasn't like in Mar-a-Lago, in a public place. And then he said, look, my memory has gotten, my memory is fine. Take a look at what I've done since I've become president. And that's a fair point. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How did that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. And when he was asked, you know, why should you be the nominee when you've said plenty of other Democrats could beat Donald Trump? There, he came back with a a strong line saying, I'm the most qualified person in this country, the president of the United States, and finished the job I started. And let me just digress here for a moment to say this. One, what's overshadowed here is the actual mishandling of the classified documents. Uh, Whether Biden did it, whether his staff did it, you know, keeping it in the garage doesn't look good. When people make the inevitable comparisons to Donald Trump, oh, why was Donald Trump indicted over his classified documents? You know, it's apples and oranges. Biden voluntarily went to DOJ to say that he had found some classified documents. He cooperated turned over everything, Donald Trump resisted, uh, told aides to move some of the boxes, didn't fully comply with several subpoenas, and that led to the infamous FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. So I don't want to waste a lot of time on comparing the two. They're just two different, very, very different stories, whether Trump deserved to be charged or not. But secondly, this is the problem with shielding Biden from the press. Now, you might say, well, look, look what happens when he goes out there. He, he argues with reporters. He gets snappish. And sometimes he makes mistakes. Speaking of which, in the very news conference, in which Biden was trying to dispel any concerns about his mental acuity, he said the president of Mexico when he was talking about the Middle East. He didn't mean to say the president of Mexico. Just, he just keeps making these gaffes. But my final point is this. If Biden talked to the press more, if he did the Super Bowl interview, if we got used to seeing him on TV just about every day, then these occasional gaffes, slip-ups, memory lapses, which to some degree we all have if you're 40, if you're 20. Can't think of the word, can't think of the name. The person I used to be with several years ago, I can picture his face. You know know what I'm talking about. But because they're so afraid that he will make a mistake, he basically just does these, you know, two, three sentence answers to two or three questions at the helicopter or wherever the 
Chris Poole happens to be. And I think that is a profound mistake. Now, New York Times. This should have been an unequivocal legal exoneration, but it was a political disaster. The investigation into Biden's handling of uh, documents, and we get to the uh, well-meaning elderly man with poor memory, diminished faculties in advancing age, the report also said prompted a fiery and emotional attempt at political damage control from the president within hours. His remarkable appearance before reporters underscored the political damage. Quickly seized on by Republicans. And, you know, he had these five hours of interviews with prosecutors on the staff. You know what it was? It was the day after and two days after the awful, horrible, brutal massacre of Israelis by Hamas. So he had other things on his mind as well. Not an exoneration, but I'm just saying he mentioned it. By the way, the president had walked away and then came back to answer a shouted question about the Middle East and... He said that Israel's response now was over the top. He made clear his private frustration with Ibn Netanyahu. Now, with the Israelis about to go into what was the last safe refuge in Gaza, the area surrounding Rafah, where there were a million Palestinians, and many of them innocent civilians. Biden said in a statement he was so determined to give the special counsel what they needed that I went forward with five hours of interviews on October 8th and October 9th, even though Israel had just been attacked on October 7th. Um, The report also said that about the documents, that some of these involved sensitive intelligence sources and methods, and then there was this zinger from Robert Hurd. It would be difficult to convince a jury they should convict him. By then, a former president well into his 80s of a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness. Plain English, you know, the jury would let him off because he's having memory problems, so we couldn't even think about charging him. A statement from the president's lawyers, hardly fair to concede the president will be asked about events years in the past, press him to give his best recollections, and then fault him for his limited memory. The president's inability to recall dates or details of events that happened years ago is neither surprising nor unusual. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Just a few sentences from Rich Lowry, editor-in-chief of National Review. It's not Joe Biden's fault that he's old and in decline. That happens to everyone who's long lived. What's blameworthy is that he and his wife, Jill, haven't had the good sense, as far as we know, to acknowledge what is happening to him. The right thing to do would have been to take a hard look at this sometime last year and decide to spare Biden the humiliation and the country the potential crisis of running him again when he's not up for it. If Biden had stood down then, he'd look like a wise, public-spirited statesman and he'd have given his party the chance to run a proper primary. It's too late for that now. No matter how bad the Her report is for Biden, there is almost certainly worse to come. Okay, story number two. I want to come back to the Supreme Court oral arguments, which I found fascinating, even as they 
went into the legal weeds of uh, self-executing and uh, did Congress need to pass a law and all of that. Now, it was noteworthy to me that the justices, most of them, were so openly skeptical of the Colorado argument. Donald Trump had committed insurrection, therefore he's disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to hold office and therefore we're kicking him off the ballot. And, you know, you don't have to be a a betting man to say this is not going to stand. The only question is going to be the margin. It was that obvious. But I did think that a couple of the liberal justices, Elena Kagan, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, while certainly not as dismissive of the notion of insurrection, also challenged the argument that Donald Trump, at least in certain states, should not be allowed to run again. And so you had John Roberts asking these questions uh, like the whole point of the 14th Amendment was to restrict state power, right? And he also said, you know, if you look at this, why should, he and others made this point, why should Colorado have the power to influence the rest of the country, either because other states, if they upheld the challenge, would also try to knock the former president off the ballot, or simply because, you know, maybe he would lose by the margin of electoral votes in Colorado. To that point, Elena Kagan, why should a single state have the ability to make this determination, not only for their own citizens, but for the rest of the nation? Ketanji Brown-Jackson said that Section 3 was, uh, she doubted that Section 3 was intended to, quote, create disuniformity in this way, where we have elections pending and different states suddenly saying, you're eligible, you're not. And that's also what Robert said. He said, you're going to have some, some states that will try to knock the Republican off the ballot. You'll have some states that would knock the Democrat off the ballot. And those would be uh, serious consequences. Also, uh, let's see here. It's kind of elusive what Section 3 means. Remember, it's a post-Civil War era law intended to prevent those who rebelled against the United States or fought against the United States from holding office in the reunited Union. Insurrection is a broad, broad term, said John Roberts. I suppose it'll go into the decision and eventually what we will be deciding. And what do we do? Do we wait until near the time of counting the ballots and sort of go through which states are valid and which states aren't? I would expect a goodly number of states would say, whoever the Democratic candidate is, you're off the ballot. Or the Republican candidate, you're off the ballot. A pretty daunting consequence was his exact words. And so I see a split decision here. The court's reputation is not exactly at its highest level. Probably it wants to do, be seen as fair. So either in the coming days or a couple of weeks, whatever, Supreme Court will throw out the Colorado ruling. That will also affect Maine and that will also stand for other states. Or just not take the case, known as not uh, granting cert. And then the lower court decision 
tossing this out would stand. But the other case that Donald Trump has until Monday to appeal, where the appellate panel um, said he should not have unlimited immunity, that no president can have that, the Supreme Court could uphold that. And so Trump would win one and lose one. He wouldn't be kicked off the ballot, but he wouldn't be able to be deemed immune from any consequences of his actions as president and certainly as a former president. All right, number three, the bipartisan border bill. Biden and his aides say the swift collapse of this measure has changed the politics. Trump, of course, and the Republican Party he undisputably leads, insists that the bill's rise and fall has changed little. You still have a mess at the border. It's still Biden's fault. They've had three years to tackle it. They have not. And I can't dispute any of those sentences. But when you look at how this bill fell apart, where Republicans like Senator Jim Lankford were negotiating in good faith, finally came up with the compromise language, not perfect, not everybody agreed with everything, but they were going to pass the bill. And then Trump said, don't pass it. Wait till I'm in office. Now, they're not passing the bill. There is, by the way, a procedural move now to just do the foreign aid. Aid to Ukraine, which desperately needs it. Aid to Israel, aid to Taiwan. Without the border provision. But, I mean, the whole thing is a mess, like most things on Capitol Hill. Uh, Here's Republican pollster Whit Ayers talking to the Washington Post. The atmospherics are not exactly positive when you have a bill that does what you've asked for repeatedly and then you turn around and kill it. That said, it's hard for me to imagine Joe Biden being favored over Donald Trump for dealing with the border and the chaos down there. Republicans have scored powerful political points over the last three years, just with all those pictures of the border. But now Biden is signaling that he'll at least adopt a more aggressive tone. I'm going to take this issue to the country, the president said. Voters are going to know that just at the moment we were going to secure the border and fund these other programs. Trump and the MAGA Republicans said no because they're afraid of Donald Trump. Former president on Truth Social, this bill is a great gift to the Democrats and a death wish for the Republican Party. It takes the horrible job the Democrats have done absolves them and puts it all squarely on the shoulders of Republicans. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story four. What does Travis Kelsey have to say about the Taylor Swift obsession? Remember, we're coming up on Super Bowl Sunday. This is awesome. It's both a game between, you know, the incredible Kansas City Chiefs and a very strong team in the San Francisco 49ers that also has an amazing, if unsug, quarterback in Brock Purdy, but maybe a defense not as good as the Chiefs. And it's in Las Vegas, first time ever. And you've got Taylor. So Travis says, 
The question was, are you distracted? I think I've uh, juggled the perception of my focus. I never want the people in this team in the Kansas City Chiefs building feel that I wasn't focused on the task at hand, and that's winning football games. Uh, what he's learned about Taylor Swift since he started dating her. Worldwide fame is a lot different than just being famous in Kansas City. Okay, understatement of the century. Um, is he a distraction? It's only given me energy. I'm very fortunate to be in the position I'm in, life, and have amazing things going on for me. I'd be silly to find any negativity in what's going on. Are questions about his personal life fair? I think it's fair. I mean, everybody's having fun with it. It's not like you guys, meaning the media, uh, are up here teeing off on me left and right. Everybody's having a good time with it. So how could I be upset about it? Los Angeles Times story. Several conservative commentators announced that they plan to root for San Francisco, a city that has long served as a bete noire to the far right, to far right America. With politicians and media outlets alike, usually vilifying it as an acrid emblem of progressivism run amok. This is just so weird from the right-wing point of view. They are sticking it to Taylor Swift, nation's biggest pop star, newish girlfriend of Kansas City Chief tight end Travis Kelsey. Swift has been the center of a series of sprawling but unfounded right-wing conspiracy theories in which she is somehow in cahoots, excuse me, with the NFL to hurt Donald Trump's chances in 2024 and hand victory to President Biden. Yeah. Okay. Um, And quoted in this story is an interview that I did last Sunday with Clay Travis of OutKick, in which he said, He would be proudly supporting the San Francisco 49ers, America's team. After he said, this part wasn't quoted, that he hopes that Taylor Swift is the Yoko Ono of the Kansas City Chiefs, destroying the dynasty and letting it go down in flames. Tell me what you really think. Oh, here is a state senator, former chair of the California LGBT caucus. We don't need their support, he said, speaking of the conservatives. We don't want their support. San Francisco will be just fine without them. Conspiracy theorists are very, very bad energy. We don't need that negative energy. And here's an assemblyman, another Democrat, saying, it's a little strange to see people usually hate San Francisco. Now, cheering for San Francisco. Okay, number five. The aftermath of the sad diagnosis of King Charles, who's now battling cancer. Ah, but this is about a tale of two brothers. As the Washington Post put it, you can probably guess who they are. Prince William, nursing a sick wife, remember that Kate went into the hospital for a procedure, and she's still said to be recovering and not planning to do any public events until Easter according to the latest UK reports I've seen. So William is heading to the royal front line in the selfish tradition of his grandmother, the queen. Prince Harry, a rogue relative on a fleeting trip home, is shunned by a family he sold out, or at least that's what the British press 
would have you believe. So, look, Harry flies from California. He stays in the UK for 26 hours. He meets with his dad. Look, there's a human level to this. You know, his father has cancer, okay? And didn't apparently meet with William. So now they're being described, the two brothers, as a modern-day Cain and Abel. And then he flies back to California, where his wife, Meghan Markle, and their two children live. She obviously wouldn't have been welcome there, you know, given the break from the royal family that they both embraced. One British media pundit called Harry disloyal and highlighted that he appeared not to stay overnight at a royal property. Well, that would have been its own controversy. Quote, the Duke of Sussex stayed the night in a hotel, like so many other American tourists, because in truth, that is all he is now. Well, another right-leaning show said, who was the visit for? Was it for Harry? Was it for the king? Or was it for Netflix? Referring to the documentary that Harry and Meghan did that had a lot of harsh words about the royal family and further inflamed uh, the tensions of their sort of departure. Now, according to a poll, uh, Harry and Kate are among the most popular members of the royal household, about 61% approval. And it goes on in that vein. Look, I just feel sympathy for Harry, whether you like the guy or not, whether you think he's a publicity hound, whether you think he's ungrateful to his family and the life that he had led. But his father is sick. And, and, you know, all but unspoken is the notion that what if the king doesn't make it? He's only been king for a year and a half since the death of Elizabeth, and William then becomes the king because he's the older brother of the two. Um, There's simply no question the British press is going to be on this day after day after day after day. It's gotten a lot of play in the American press as well. And, you know, it's the same old soap opera that sells newspapers in London. With that, enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday. You know, if if you don't like football, and if you don't care about Taylor Swift, you know, it's a spectacle. It's the Las Vegas... Strip, think of it. Really good football game. And the commercials. you got to watch for the commercials. That's what a lot of people I know who don't really care about football do. They tolerate the game. Let's see the commercials. Although the commercials, according to one report, are going to be toned down this year. Beyond that, sometime between now and Sunday morning, I will have sorted it all out, all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, so I hope you'll watch Media Buzz on Fox. And with that, I'm going to get back to work. Thanks, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your time. See you Monday with more BuzzBeater. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Music.